Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. Just a great series of great men on the show today. Uh, No one um, I have uh, admired and been friends with uh, almost as long as Brian Kennedy. I admired as much as anyone, but I have a few friends longer than Brian, although I've known him since... Brian Kennedy I have known since about 1989, I think. He is the chairman the Committee on the Present Danger, China, former president of the Claremont Institute and president of the American Strategy Group. It's been that long, Brian, when you think about it. It's been a long time. It, it really it really has. Uh, and America has changed quite a bit over that period of time. Yeah, yeah. But you, you, you have remained a very <laughs> steady force of brilliance and excellence that uh, whole concept, you're, I must say. And, <laughs> and, and in politics, I meet a lot of people in politics and in the world of ideas. There is not a finer gentleman than Seth Lee. Oh, my so goodness it's, gracious. All it's right. always an honor, it's always on, an honor to be with you. Oh, thank you. Mutual corruption uh, is going to be our end here. But okay, actually, so there's going to be – if we're not careful, we're going to have other ends. Uh, Lincoln and the Lyceum, if uh, if death be our lot, we will be its authors and finishers. I'm worried a lot about that these days, Brian, uh, the internals in this country, the external threats. Uh, you know, you've been a part and a parcel of the conservative movement and a shaper of it for all these decades. Let me start with just raw politics or sheer politics. I, um, I was entertaining some calls yesterday uh, from uh, both sides of the – Trump slash DeSantis uh, uh, crowd, each each a little angry at the other and um, each a little angry at supporters of the other. Um, and I, I think it, my own sense is it's much, much too early and probably not even appropriate for that right now. Uh, there is nothing there is no perfect candidate and the stakes are so high. I think they each have. They they each have their their deficits. They each have their great accomplishments and 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 plaudits credits do them. Um, and I I kind of think of it as the choice in some respects between uh, ribeye and New York strip. Um, eating one or the other does not make you a vegetarian. <laughs> Best I can do. <laughs> Though to listen to these ardent supporters in each camp, you would almost think. But we got to get it together here, brother, don't we? Uh, yeah, we do. Um, but ribeye, a ribeye steak, or anything, they're both fine steaks. I changed your day, didn't I? <laughs> I just, I know, I'll work is stopped. But, I know. But, but, but actually, you know, it's a very, it's a very good analogy. They're both fine. President Trump is fine. Ron DeSantis is fine. They're both great men. Um, in in my travels, uh, I, I will say transparently that that I, I very much like them both, Trump and DeSantis. I lean very strong towards Trump, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you why. Yeah, please. And it's not like DeSantis is is not a great man. It's just that Trump is the man of the moment. Mm-hmm. He is the man who has transformed American politics today. And if Trump were, you know, forty five years old, you know, then you wouldn't have to do Trump right now. Mm-hmm. Um, DeSantis is a young man. A lot, of, a lot of even the most rabid Trump folks love DeSantis and think, "Why can't that guy do it next time? Mm-hmm. Why does he? Ha- why does it have to be this time?" Mm-hmm. Because Trump got people out to vote that have not voted before, mm-hmm. or did not vote very frequently before. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be the president of the United States, 
You have to have the Republican base. You have to have a lot of independents. And then you have to have, you know, more than that if you're actually going to win. Trump has managed to get those people, that, that other group of people, the, the forgotten man. Trump got those people. And today it's entirely unclear that Governor DeSantis would get those people. And so a lot of Trump folks who love DeSantis think, why not have Trump? And then DeSantis gets it next time. And DeSantis should be doing the things now that will get him those other Trump forgotten man voters, which made the made the, the difference in 2016. And, you know, I, I'm one of those people who think 2020 election was stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, be that as it may, it's not like, well, I guess it doesn't actually matter quite a bit. Governor DeSantis doesn't believe the 2020 election was stolen. Okay. Okay. That matters. That okay. matters at some fundamental level, okay. it seems to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say there are probably people around President Trump who don't think the election was stolen mm-hmm. because there there is this, this sense that, you know, my God, how can they steal a presidential election? Mm-hmm. Even though even though the Democrats have been doing that for a century, mm-hmm. you know, 2020 was this, was this amazing thing. But uh, I, I guess where I'm going with all that is I think Trump has an immense base of people who love him and are going to vote for him, come what may. DeSantis is still developing that base of people, and I don't think he has it yet. Would you and agree? Now, yeah. Would you yeah. Ag- would you agree with this? If I can look at a thing that I would consider they have in common for a moment, um, would you? Con- would, I, I wonder if you agree with the the proposition I'm about to state, which is they both understand existential threats that previous Republicans haven't in the past, such as. Uh, the threats of socialism from within, the threats that uh, are being directed from the left at our children in the schools, from uh, woke corporations, CEI and DEI and that sort of thing. Do, do you do you find that commonality um, there? And do you find the Republican awakening to those things um, refreshing and crucial. Yes, I think that's a, a very good formulation. I think I think Trump and DeSantis both understand yeah, that. Yeah. And the but but let me just say, mm-hmm. I think they understand it much better than the rest of the Republican Party. I agree with that. I agree with you on that too. I I, I, I don't know who who the number three is right. who understands it as well as Trump and DeSantis. Right. And DeSantis has shown amazing amazingly good sense mm-hmm. and competency mm-hmm. about dealing with that in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that that is a, a proven thing that he has done. Trump did many similar things when he was president. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I think... And, and both it. willing to speak about it and call it for what it is and yes. not afraid and to use the words socialism, quite frankly, or worse. Right. Uh, or, or, or yeah, yeah. I well, mean, Trump, yeah. Trump... Trump says that they're communists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 in that in that sense, I think he is much more accurate. Uh huh. This is not, this is not just about. But I think I think DeSantis would agree. But whereas whereas Republicans used to call Democrats socialists. Yep. When they simply wanted to raise yep. taxes right. and have right. a, a very big administrative right. state. Right. 
they're actually engaged today in something else, yep. which is the destruction of American society yep. more fundamentally. Yes. The destruction of the family, the destruction of the human beings. The attempt to overcome human nature, really. I mean, nothing could be more Marxist than that. Uh, Whitaker Chambers said it's man's second oldest faith that we shall be as gods, right? Nothing could be more Marxist than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so they are much more like communists. And and I will say Trump and DeSantis get that. Right. That's what I think they have in common more than any other Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. They have, you know, they have a lot in common. Mm -hmm. The, The one thing that Trump excels in, though, is that he has been a persona in the American culture for the better part of 30 years. And I don't care how great a guy and governor Ron DeSantis is, you just can't produce that overnight. That's right. That's right. And Trump has been under fire from the left in very profound ways. And he's not under fire because he... uh, is somehow, you know, likes women, and when he chases them, he often catches them. <laughs> That's not why they're going after him. No, of course not. They're going They're going after him because he wants to dismantle the administrative state. Right. He sees what and they he, are. He sees who they are. Right, and that's why they hate him. But the, the one thing my, my DeSantis friends don't fully appreciate is if you think they went after Trump with the vengeance, they're really going to go after DeSantis. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Because he's a younger man who has who will have eight years to do this. Yeah. And and the thin may, excuse me, the skin may not be as thick. Uh, Donald Trump has been through the air war and the ground war thus far. DeSantis has been through the air war. Maybe that's another formulation we might agree on. Brian, let me take a quick commercial break and let's talk about the communist threat from outside as well. If we can, you are so expert at this, especially given your chairmanship at the Committee on the Present Danger China. PresentDangerChina.org is the website. Brian Kennedy is my guest. He and I'll be right back. Brian Kennedy is uh, many things, including the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. China has been uh, a lot in the news. I mean, it's always in, in, in the forefront of your thinking and your strategic and uh, thought and philosophical thought, I will say. I'm not sure how to begin my conversation with you about what we want to think right now or how we should be thinking right now, Brian. Um, I guess I guess I might set it up this way and you take it any way you want. Uh, when Kevin McCarthy hosted the president of Taiwan at the Reagan Library last week, I saw a news anchor interviewing some Taiwanese-Americans. And they were asking the Taiwanese-Americans if they thought if China were to go after Taiwan, would America be there for Taiwan? It was sad for me to see that to a one, each of them said, I don't think so. Um, the questions about Americans' commitments to its America's commitments to its allies, or one side is is one avenue of discussion I want to have with you. Uh, the question of whether China does have its sights on taking over, possibly taking over Taiwan, is another, and what Americans respond America's response should be if they do try to do that. Um, those are big, heavy questions. Take them any way you want, or in any order you want. Yeah, that that's a, an interesting formulation. The thing about uh, Taiwan 
is that it is actually very much in the American interest mm-hmm. to defend. Mm-hmm. And the reason is not because they're a democracy. They are a democracy. And they are filled with, you know, 24 million some people. I think that's the mm-hmm. latest number I saw. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's smaller than, say, a California. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's as populous as Texas. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. not because they're a democracy, not because they're good people but because they have a semiconductor industry that is mission critical Mm -hmm. currently to the U.S. economy. Mm -hmm. It is so important that some economists say that if we lost that production capacity in Taiwan, that could mean a 25% hit to the U.S. economy. Like an EMP attack almost. Well, at that level almost, Mm -hmm. but to the point where you're not going to have new cars mm-hmm. or new refrigerators or new, you know, name the electronic component. Okay. And when the current ones fail, there won't be replacement parts for these. And so those semiconductors were a thing that the Taiwanese decided to master mm-hmm. as if that was going to be a very important thing to the future of the world economy. China itself has tried to replicate their capacity unsuccessfully. Because this is this is as much art as science, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the Taiwanese are unusually good. And they're building plants in America, including in Arizona. That's right. But those but those are going to take years and years before they're up and running at the level we would actually want or need. And so Taiwan today is mission critical. Now, with that being said, the the, the PRC would like to have ownership of that capacity mm-hmm. because they would like to have that as a key strategic industry for the PRC. Mm-hmm. And so if you took Taiwan, you would have control of that. Mm-hmm. But with that is a big if. If they did that, what would the Taiwanese do? Mm-hmm. And I think what the Taiwanese would do, some strate- strategic thinkers believe, is that they would destroy that industry, thus guaranteeing that no one would have control of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's thought, it's thought by some people, some strategic thinkers, that if they didn't destroy it themselves, the Taiwanese, that the Americans, it would be incumbent upon America to destroy in Taiwan that industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pretty dramatic stuff. Yeah, Samson pretty, options, pretty, Samson options, so to speak. Right, yeah, right. right. Pretty, pretty serious stuff. Mm-hmm. And so if you're the PRC, do you roll those dice mm-hmm. and run the risk of World War III? Mm-hmm. Because it's not, it may not be so much about America defending Taiwan as being complicit with the Taiwanese mm-hmm. in its destruction of key assets mm-hmm. within Taiwan. That's that's the level of warfare we're wow. talking here. Wow. Okay. So this is not a this is not an easy thing to appreciate. Yeah. Now, if you're the Chinese Communist Party, it would be better for you to over time co opt the Taiwanese mm-hmm. to your side mm-hmm. and then absorb Taiwan the way they absorbed Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. But that may not be achievable because every day, every day that goes by, the Taiwanese think of themselves as Taiwanese. Yeah, they think of themselves as a free, and even though they've never declared independence, 
they, in so many ways, act like a free and independent people. So it's a very complicated situation that that we find ourselves in. Uh, we don't today, from our point of view, our American point of view, we don't have the things we would want to have in order to fight communist China. Okay. We don't have a national missile defense. We right. don't have an adequate air force. We don't have an adequate navy. And so we're talking about engaging in World War III without that capacity Mm -hmm. and without any national commitment to build either of those three things. Right. Which is which is which is kind of remarkable. And the Chinese know that, by the way. And of course they know that. Of course they do. Right. And the the Chinese are very intimate with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And we in the United States don't take seriously enough the Chinese capacity for waging war. Right. Right. And so what would it mean psychologically to the United States if we lost in a conflict in the Pacific yep. an aircraft carrier. Right. And that was and that was carried on CNN and Fox right. News and all the T V stations. Right. right. What would that look like with, you know, video video coverage of it sinking yep. and sailors dying? Right. Right. And so it's a it's a very high stakes game we're talking about here. And one that we seem uh, inadequately prepared for in ways that a superpower like us should not be in this position. We, we ought not be in this position. Right. Uh, that 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 is really uh, the key point that I keep emphasizing, that this is, this is a problem of our own making, really, in the sense that this is a problem of lack of leadership, uh, lack of strong leadership. It's much the problem we find ourselves in, I think, with regard to Ukraine. With a better president, uh, we wouldn't have... Putin invading Ukraine with a better president, we wouldn't have had the Afghanistan, uh, the the ignominious uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan that we had. And the message that all these things kind of send, uh, most of which lead to the conclusion of being hamstrung. Let, Let me take a quick break and come back on that with you, if I can. Um, Brian Kennedy is our guest. He's the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China, presentdangerchina.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, Brian Kennedy is our guest, among other things, the chairman of the uh, chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China, presentdangerchina.org. Brian, uh, the, the, the threats and problems we face in confronting and looking at China, like so many, they're our own doing, uh, some by misfeasance, some by nonfeasance, some by malfeasance. But it's about American leadership, isn't it? It, it? I mean, at the end of the day, everything you said we should need to have, we should want to have and need to have if we were going to, A, be in a confrontation, God forbid that we ever get there, but also, you know, to prevent, deter a confrontation, which is where we would hope we could be. But we don't have the, shall we say, things you said that would be the natural deterrence to a country that, like us, with China looking at us the way we are right now, right? No, that, that, that's right. The, the American strategy of peace through strength was a very good one. Mm-hmm. When we are strong in all the ways that our enemies know and understand, they're unlikely to do bad things against our interests because they know we would punish them, mm-hmm. both physically and economically. P 
today we don't, one, we don't have the strength. And when we do have, you know, the, the, what, the one kind of strength we do have, like economic strength, yeah. we never use it to punish anyone. Right. <laughs> right. And so our enemies look at that and they think, my God, you know, we can get away with murder with mm-hmm. these folks. Mm-hmm. Ch- China unleashes, whether intentionally or unintentionally, a bioweapon against the United States. I happen to believe it's intentional. Uh-huh. What have we done, uh, I won't say in retaliation, but just in just in seeking uh, remuneration for the damage they've done to the United States? And we've done precious little. Mm-hmm. Today, today, American investors have 3 to $6 trillion dollars <laughs> in investment in communist Chinese corporations. Mm-hmm. That's madness. Yeah. The idea that if we get into a war with communist China, potentially $6 trillion of wealth evaporates mm-hmm. from American investment portfolios, retirement funds. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the Chinese understood was a, a democratic country like the United States, they're going to, you know, once they win the Cold War, they're going to take a step back. They're not going to do the kind of things militarily to maintain that peace through strength posture. That was a Chinese bet, and they were right about that. Mm-hmm. We've not maintained that. However excellent we are, we're not good enough. A communist China has fifth-generation fighter aircraft mm-hmm. that are really proficient. Mm-hmm. And so the Chinese are building the Army of the future yep. and the Air Force and Navy of the future. We're not. As good as we are, we're not preparing for the future. And the Chinese also knew that if they engaged in enough commerce with the United States, that they would co-opt American business elites to the point that they would be like a fifth column in this country, putting pressure on any, either a Republican leader or a Democratic leader to make sure that we did not engage China the way we ought to and do the things we ought to to make sure that we're not in any way under the influence or subjugation of communist China. And today, with all that investment that Americans have put into communist China, I, I fear that our two, our two economies are so intertwined that American business people have persuaded, at least it would appear, the Biden administration that engaging communist China you know, ought not be done. And we've then wealthened and strengthened China in a way, have we not? I, this it truly is in the form of a question. Um, remember during the PNTR debates, Gary Bauer once said, I, I fear it's going to change us more than it will change China. The notion that if we gave them capital, they would liberalize um, turned out not not to be the right bet. It, seems to me uh, they, they may they may have but in some in some domestic resp- respects they may have but it does seem to me that President Xi is 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 is, is a retrograde throwback a big question heading into a break let me have you respond if I can on the way back on the other side of the break if I can Brian Kennedy is our guest he is the chairman of the committee on the present danger China present danger China.org is his website and we'll be right back Brian Kennedy, Brian T. Kennedy is my guest. He's the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger China. Brian, I was formulating right before the break the the question that the flowing of capital, U.S. dollars into China, um, 
the debates we had about that, I guess they really would have begun in the 90s and took off in a big way in the late 90s and 2000s, the bet being that China would liberalize uh, with our investments there and our giving them more and more access to capital. My sense is that bet did not pay off, and it produces presidents like Xi, who is, are as, almost as hardcore as, as, as Chairman Mao. But I do put that to you in the form of a question. Yeah, no, it's a very good question because it wouldn't have seemed crazy to people right. that China would have liberalized. Right. As people, I mean, the the, the theory of the case right. was that uh, as people become more wealthy, they demand more uh, political rights right. to go along with their economic rights. Right. It just turns out, though, that someone like Xi Jinping, along with his other uh, colleagues in the Politburo, in fact, do believe in communism, mm-hmm. and their ideology is something they take very seriously. Yeah. Whereas Americans tend not to. Take uh, that's very that's seriously. really the crux of it, isn't it? Yeah, we've always undermined. Right. Yes, right. Keep going. They took it. They took it seriously. Right. I, I, th- I think more seriously than than the Soviets ever did. Interesting. And, and I mean, the Russians today, I think, believe in power. Yeah. I think Putin is probably a communist somewhere in his heart, but yeah. whether he can, whether he has communist dreams of of remaking society is a different thing. Xi Jinping actually believes yeah. in communism the way Mao did, yeah. and actually believes in creating a communist society, mm-hmm. both within communist China and in those parts of the world he wishes to control. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that, that American policy... Yeah, we've never understood ideology very well here. Not, not, not very well at all, no. Especially no, when it no. came to Marxism, or Marxism-Maoism, right. or Marxist-Leninism. Yeah. Right, and, and, but also from a communist point of view, and you can see where this is, this is to your point about we're going to become more like them yeah, right. than they're, they're going to become like us. Right. So if you're communist China, the thing you need to do first and foremost is control communist China itself. Mm-hmm. You need to control the Chinese people. Right. And they've done that through intimidation, force, actual violence mm-hmm. against their own people, having killed in the 20th century some 100 million of their own citizens. Right. So they're not afraid of killing their own people in order to enforce control. Now through technology and the social credit system, they've been able to control the Chinese people and be, you know, to shut down people's access to all sorts of things. Oh, yes. It's, it's an you, Orwellian, you, you, Vonnegut-type, very dystopian reality. And when, yeah. and when you hear these stories today in our country of us doing a similar kind mm-hmm. of thing with these digital IDs mm-hmm. and the lockdowns we saw and the... The CEI US index in, even, yeah. Mm-hmm. The CEI, but also the U.S. intelligence community yep. reaching into... Facebook and Twitter and other social media to control what Americans say and what they think. There's your example of how we're becoming much more like them, that that in China they've created a digital gulag. And in this country, we're on the path to doing the exact same thing. Without a pang of conscience either. And and, and, and that's that's one of the most eyebrow-raising things I've witnessed over the last two, three years, I suppose it's been, maybe four, that, you know, our own ideology, we misunderstand our own and we misunderstand theirs, but our own ideology was that, you know, journalists, media, 
um, their 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 freedom based in the First Amendment, but long before even a First Amendment was for them to censure the government. They became complicit in allowing the government to engage in censorship with them uh, over dissent, dissension and dis- d- dissenting. And it, it, it's a very frightening thing to me because I don't know that China needs to militarily invade countries like, God forbid, ever ours. They've already ideologically succeeded in so many ways. Is that too strongly put? No, I think it's perfectly put. In fact, they have they have done a lot. I mean, we did we did a lot of it ourselves. Yes, sure. Right. I mean, it, it, we had just, to comply. We had to be willing compliance. Right. Right. Compl- yeah. right. The, the, pro- the progressive state that we're living in today was mostly of our own doing. Yep. Even even if it was a foreign ideology, whether it was. Yeah. Right. It doesn't know, matter. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Right. It, right. It doesn't matter. Right. We, we we've succumbed. Yeah. And I think the one thing, back to our earlier discussion of, of Trump and DeSantis, is both of those guys see it. Yeah, they that's feel right. It. That's right. They, they see it every day. That's why they're a danger. Yeah. They see that we have lost that thing that makes us free and a, a dynamic people. And so to the extent that, that we're in a political war, the communist Chinese know full well that they have to take down anybody like Trump or DeSantis who really means to reawaken the American people to those principles that have animated this country throughout our history. They need to knock that down and basically find somebody within our politics who embraces the globalist slash Marxist worldview. Now, even though you know, I think a lot of what Joe Biden does is a form of communism, the real thing he does is a kind of globalist embrace mm-hmm. of something which is completely against the American interest, whether it's whether it's illegal immigration letting people into our country or just the kind of things he's doing to the economy vis-a-vis energy and mm-hmm. oil and what have you mm-hmm. that have led to the devaluing of the dollar and inflation. Mm-hmm. All these things don't seem to be in the national interest. It's either incompetency which is certainly possible, or it's an embrace of a different kind of worldview, and one today that very much suits communist China yeah. on almost on almost every single front, whether it's energy, our preoccupation with Ukraine, or our failure to rebuild the American military. If I'm communist China, I'm feeling pretty good today yeah. about the direction of the world, and the last thing I need is a Trump or a DeSantis yeah. right. putting America in a different direction. Yeah. And and maybe and maybe us if you're China. It goes back a long time. I um I was at a uh, conference some years ago back when the great Robert Bartley was alive. Remember him at the Wall Street Journal? Oh, of course, yeah. And he um he was introduced to talk about the situation of the United Nations that had 193 member states in it and he said should be 194. And I was thinking, you know, goes back a long way this problem goes back a long way maybe 1971 when we traded out taiwan for the people's republic of china people like your friend bill rusher had this committee of a million trying to stop that at all costs we didn't succeed then maybe we'll get the wake-up call now brian a couple seconds left you think we'll get the wake-up call yeah no i i i think uh i think the american people on the natural believe in our freedom and the freedom of, of the people of Taiwan. 
Uh, and they actually like the people of China as people. Yep. But the, the communist China, the Chinese Communist Party, is really the enemy of civilization today, and that that is what they need to wake up to now. Well said, Brian Kennedy, good friend, great thinker. Brian, thank you so much. Thank you, Seth. Great to be with you. You betcha. You can read Brian's work and the rest of his committee's work at presentdangerchina.org. I'll be back with a final thought. Boy, aside from uh, all the other problems with the economy from banks and stock market volatility and the recession, thinking about some of the stuff Brian was talking about in our previous segment, it um, it's a really good idea that our friends Y Refi have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's a portfolio and an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. Why Refi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I have been there a few times, and I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet the team at Why Refi, you'll see why I like them so much, why I trust them so much, and that you can too. A due diligence approved firm, as I say, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return, 10 and a quarter percent fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. It's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888. Why refi thirty four eight 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 why refi thirty four Brian Kennedy put his finger on it, I believe, when he said this is really first and foremost, yes, it's now unfortunately, a series of military considerations um, military uh not just considerations, but whether it's whether it's about a kinetic operation or a defensive strategic operation. But we're at that decision point, and we're going to be put in more of these decision points because of the ideological blindness that we have um, imposed upon ourselves. People didn't get it in 1971 when the People's Republic of China wanted the Republic of China out at the United Nations, and they haven't gotten it since. They didn't get Marxist Maoism then anymore then perhaps um, the they didn't get the ideals of democratic and republican forms of government. You, you appreciate this country, you can better appreciate the animating ideologies of other countries. And that's why we closed the show yesterday with that Lincoln thought that if death be our lot, it'll, we will be its author and finisher. We don't better understand other countries by misunderstanding our own. And we've been on a long tear and campaign to misunderstand our own, our own history, our own founding, our own ideologies. And it blinds us towards the pride and the very righteous and self-justified pride other countries have in theirs. We have unilaterally and intellectually disarmed. And that's the problem. I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, class is dismissed.